Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Medicare Agent Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Jacobson. Today, we're talking with Caleb Reynolds in Austin, Texas, about how he built his Medicare agency and why he left health markets to start his own independent agency with his two brothers. He walks through exactly the step-by-step process to starting an agency and what he wishes someone told him when he was just getting started. Here's a clip from today's conversation. The biggest challenges is, is I underestimated how much training it will take to get another agent right in business. It takes definitely more than I a training to get them right in business than I thought. When you have no, I mean, I had a sales process, but it, in the beginning it was not very good. It, it was very simple. And trying to put together a process and teach it at the same time definitely is a challenge. That's just a tiny taste from today's fantastic show. The Medicare Agent Podcast is sponsored by Fair Street. Fairstreet is a CRM for Medicare agents that helps them manage all of their clients in one place. You can collect prescriptions, quote and enroll, create custom intake forms, do call recording, and so much more. Go to thefairstreet.com to learn more. All right, let's get started with today's show. Hi, Caleb. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. We're really excited to speak with you and learn about your journey of starting your own agency this year. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. The feeling is mutual. All right. So to kick things off, would be really helpful to hear about your journey to this point. You've been in the insurance world for some time. How did you get to the point of starting your own agency and building up what is now a really impressive business that does both Medicare and under 65? So when I first started out in insurance, I wasn't sure that this would be the route and um, that I would end up going. And I was working with a bigger agency. And after a while, I determined that I could do better, or at least my mission statement was different than the agency I was with. So that's what made me decide to start my own. So, and that's how basically it came down to a point where I, my, uh, what I wanted to do was not exactly the same as what the agency wanted, right? And uh, as I grew and got to a point where I'm like, okay, I need to have other people working with me then I, I could see that that wasn't really supported um, at the agency I was at. So that's one reason why I left too. Right. And take us back even further. How did you even get into insurance in the first place? And I know yeah. you were working for health markets. Like how did that even happen? Yeah. So I used to, I came from the automotive dealership service side um, industry. I spent 15 years in that. Anyways, um, some changes had happened there and I had, asked myself, okay, what am I going to do now? Am I going to stay in this industry, work my 60 hours, 50 hours a week, and, um, and take the, the money that's basically given to me? And you have a ceiling. You really, unless you break off to start your own business, you're not going to do much better than, you know, whatever the, the income level is in that range. So I decided that um, I would start investigating other things. And I had already known about insurance uh, places. I Also, my I guess I should say my uh, grandfather-in-law was doing exactly what I'm doing. And I heard about how he had his residuals on his business allowed him to take his entire family to all, all over the place, down to the Caymans on Christmas on a regular basis and stuff like that. So I 
thinking, oh my goodness, I want to have, how can I do this residual thing? How can I build this residual income? So uh, I had a friend of mine, his name is Gerald Pompa. He was working with an agency called Health Markets and turned out his office was right down the road from the dealership. So I went down there to go say hi one day and the Affordable Care Act had just started getting some traction. And I asked him, you know, hey, uh, about the business. And that's how I got involved. Got it. And at that time, were you just doing under 65 insurance or were you also doing Medicare? No. So in the beginning, I was just doing under 65 health insurance. And uh, mainly at the guidance of the agency and my mentor, or my, my, my friend, you know, hey, you need to wait a little bit. Uh, once you're doing this for about a year or so, get some business, some commissions coming in, then uh, we'll add Medicare and life, et cetera. And um, I'm glad that we did. I did it that way, right? And I took their advice. And I added the Medicare later, mainly, well, one, because there's a lot of money to be made in Medicare. You can still help your clients. And I always tell my clients that in the under 65 space that I'm going to be their agent for life. Well, part of that life is they're going to turn 65 and they're going to go into Medicare. So that's what got me started. That's where I was like, okay, it's only natural for me to write the Medicare business. And, right. Uh, so you're, you're working with these younger clients who you've been their agent for, you know, five, six, mm-hmm. 10 years, and then they're turning 65 and... Mm-hmm it would be a shame to say, hey, I can't help you anymore. Um, so right. I think that's a yeah, logical path for a lot of people that do under 65 insurance is they add Medicare just to serve their existing clients and then realize that there's a really interesting opportunity there. So then, okay, so you're doing under 65 and a little bit of Medicare. And at some point, you decide to make the leap to leave and start your own agency. Was there a moment when you decided to make that change? And if so, what was it? Yes. So that that moment, that trigger moment, if you will, was when a large carrier purchased health markets. So we health markets used to be agent owned and we had to cash out all of our stock options. And uh, we were not really given a choice as what to do because we're not on the board of the company, et cetera. So and it wasn't the stop cashing out of the stocks options. It was more the purchase from the large carrier. And I determined that that's not going to do bode well for the agency overall long term. And so that's that's really what triggered me to leave. And when you decided to leave, what were the series of next steps that you took? You, you knew that you wanted to go out on your own. You knew you wanted to build an agency with other people. Walk me through step by step what you did. For sure. So um, the first thing I did was <laughs> I, re- I had already been talking to some people about someone being an agent working with me or under me, if you will. And um, one of those people was uh, Casey, my brother, and I got him, helped him get licensed and everything and, and helped him get appointed. And so at the time or when that happened, when you leave health markets, there's a six month waiting period before you can get appointed with the insurance carriers directly. So you, your appointments have to stay with uh, health markets for that six month period. Well, I figured, well, I'll help my agent build his book of business while I'm serving that six month waiting period. And so I did that and I established my LLC was a very, pretty much the first thing I did. And everywhere I could, I started getting my agency appointed with the insurance carriers. 
Now, in the, in the meantime, some of those carriers, I couldn't get my agency appointed because I, I'm the, I was the principal agent of the agency. So my agent, Casey, had to get, he would get appointed directly and he could write business, but my agency wasn't able to make any money off of, off of that business. So I would have done that a little bit differently. But anyways, that was the very first thing I did was get that LLC. And that is the very first thing that needs to do. So set up an sure. LLC. If you're wanting to start an agency, you have to have a business entity for that to go through. You really oh, do. Yeah. It doesn't, you don't have to, but you really do need to do that. Mm-hmm. Another piece of it is you had to find a different FMO if you were mm-hmm. leaving health markets. What was that process like for you of searching for who might be the right partner? And yeah. I guess, spoiler alert, you yeah. ended up working with Bear Street. But I'm curious what that process was like as you were considering your options. For sure. So in the, in the, in the Medicare space, yeah, you want to find another, an FMO. And um, in the insurance world, if somebody is working at an agency, and, and they, they may not know this, but there's something called street-level commission. And so um, you don't get that when you're with health markets and you an agency like that, you don't typically get street level commission because there's other there's costs involved and all that. But anyways, long story short, a lot of FMOs do offer that. Now, there's a lot of differences between an insurance agency like health markets and an FMO, even though they are technically an FMO. There's some big differences between them. So um, when I uh, on the Medicare side, when I was looking for an FMO for Medicare, I Reached, I actually reached out to uh, some people I met through NAHU, or in other words, uh, National Association of Health Underwriters, because I am a member of that group, which recently they changed their name, but not uh, uh, National Association of Health Underwriters, and I'm a member of my local chapter. And um, I met some other agents that were independent, like myself, and talked to them. Hey, who are you using for your FMO or how are you doing this or that? You know, and that's how now I didn't get the fair street through them. I got referred to lots of other companies that were out there. The way that I got to fair street, though, was some of the FMOs offer a CRM that's kind of built in and um, Warner Pacific is one of them. So they offer a CRM. They even have a, 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 an email system and, and all of that. My biggest thing that I found is that a lot of those CRMs are, are based on old platforms. The technology is not really all that, that great. And the emails are not brand, not your agency brand. They'll be the brand of the FMO. There's lot, lots of little details like that that I didn't like. And I came to Fair, I got to Fair Street because Sarah, well, you, I believe, reached out. Yeah, it was you. That reached out to me via email. I think you might have found me on LinkedIn and uh, said, hey, I have, we have the CRM and wondering, you know, if you have some time to talk and we'd like to get your input. And uh, that's the rest uh, with Fair Street anyway. That was the end of that. Um, that's how that happened. Not end. You know what I mean? It was really um, just the beginning. <laughs> yeah, it was the beginning. On the under 65 space, you don't have to have an FMO for a lot of the insurance carriers. Some you do, but most you don't. And that was a different experience altogether. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So just to recap, so your yep. the steps that you took were you, you set up the LLC, you found an FMO, 
you contracted both yourself as the principal agent and then also your brother Casey as an agent within the agency. Yep. Was that it? Uh, Was there anything else that you needed to do to have an agency set up to be able to write business? You do have, I mean, I had to get, and so I got my LLC and then I had to get my agency license, which is not expensive. And when you talk to a lot of independent shops, and I mean like um, an agent that just does it by themselves, they don't have a staff, or maybe they've only got one or two people that they pay an hourly rate to. Some of them, they don't even know how to get an agency license. Everyone I talked to, other agents, they had no idea. And some of them even said, well, why do you want to get your agency license? You don't really have to do that. Just just get yourself appointed and then, like, tell them you have these sub-agents. And anyways, but the, the problem is there's a lot of that, – that restricts you. You cannot grow to be big. You can't build a full-on agency that way. And so – which is what, I, what my goal is. And the point is, is I got my license – as well. You do have to have the agency license. Once I had that, then I was able to get appointed through the FMO and otherwise. Does that okay. answer the and question? It does. And just to clarify, yeah. that agency license is something that you set up through the Department of Insurance, similar to what you did for your individual license, but you have to apply for a separate agency license. Right. And it's not expensive. It was like 75 bucks. And, and uh, one, that's okay. And then one last thing too, forgot about this. You have to get an agency ENO policy. Um, for errors and emissions policy, which that is not expensive. Every market's a little bit different. I, I'm paying $173 a month for mine. That's not too bad. All right. Mm-hmm. So at this point, your agency is set up. You've gone through all the hoops yeah. to be able to write business. Tell us now how you've been able to actually build the agency, you know, and what was that process like of going from you by yourself writing your own business to now you have your two brothers working with you. And so you're an agency of three. Tell us what that's been like. So um, everything was fly by the seat of our pants here (laughs) because uh, nobody, I didn't know anyone that did this and no amount of Google would, could pull this up. And no, there's nowhere that says, this is exactly, you need to do A, B, and C, and in this order. And uh, and there's no process to set up an insurance agency out there. There's lots of people that want to sell you processes, but it, there's not any that are geared towards setting up an actual insurance agency. So I actually, I told my brother, Casey, who was the first agent I brought on, I said, a lot of this that we're doing is new to me and we're going to have to change things as we go. And he was, and that's one reason why I picked my Casey as my agent. It's easier for me to tell him who's my, one of my younger brothers, Hey, things might change as every month, right? We just don't know. We're going to, we're just going to try it and see what happens. <laughs> he, he was fine with it. If I told that to somebody I just hired, I don't know if they would have been, <laughs> but so the, uh, you know, I had some challenges for sure in the beginning and those biggest, the biggest challenges is, is, I underestimated how much training it will take to get another agent writing business. It takes definitely more than I training to get them writing business than I thought. When you have no, I mean, I had a sales process, but in the beginning it was not very good. It, It was very simple and trying to put together a process and teach it at the same time definitely is a challenge. And I copied some processes that I found online and, and, from my previous experiences, of course, and made modifications accordingly. But that that amount, there's a lot of admin work there. 
And, um, you know, in a perfect world, I would have started with a million dollars and paid a, one department person to run a department over here and a department over there. But you, first of all, if you ever going to leave your one agency and start another unit and you're waiting around for a, a bunch of money so that you can do it, you, you're not going to do it. You just have to do it. You just have to jump and build the airplane <laughs> on the way down. So I underestimated how much time it took for training and getting an agent up to speed writing business. Sure. Can you give us an estimate, now that you've been through that process, how how long does it take to train up a new agent for someone who hasn't done it before? So that's going to, I think that answer will vary depending on how, the thing is, is if you have unrealistic goals for someone in the beginning, they may not be unrealistic to you as the new, as a person who's been writing insurance for a while, already knows what to do. But it may be unrealistic for the agent that you're hired that you've hired, right? And so you have to do a lot of internal checks on that and think, okay, if I've set these benchmarks in place uh, and they easily achieve those, that's great. If they don't, am I going to get mad or frustrated, or do I need to modify my process? And when you're new at this, a lot of it is you need to modify your process. You need to you need to change your expectations. So. I can't. I cannot expect my agent after one year to be writing the level of business that I am. I do have some benchmarks that um, I want them to be at after a certain time periods, and uh, those benchmarks were not. Uh, they're the ones that I set at day one are a lot different than they are today, uh, and that's mainly because it was a learning process. Caleb, sorry to interrupt. No, can yeah, can sure. you give no, us no, some no. examples of what the benchmarks yeah. are? For sure. So I wanted my agent to be making in the first year, I wanted them to be making $36,000 in commission in the first year. Okay. Now uh, to any insurance agent that's been around doing this for a little while, that should be pennies compared to what you actually make. Um, But if not, then I wanted them to make 36,000. But part of the thing is when I hired them, I said, Here's your benchmark for this. And I didn't really give them a reason to meet it other than I just assumed they were as hungry as everyone else. Well, not everyone else, as hungry as I am. And that's definitely not the case. So, I mean, they're they're hungry, right, for their own reasons and their own motivations. And their level of success is different than what I say is the level of success. So with those benchmarks, I have to put a carrot on those benchmarks. So in, in the beginning, I said, hey, you need to. Be making 36 grand after your first year of insurance sales. That's the first one. Well, the the change there, as I said, believe it or not, um, I told them that if you're making $12,000 after the first year, and I don't like to go by national averages, but if you Google it and look it up, national it's probably the national average is probably somewhere around there, right? But that's but that national average is big high performers and people who do this part-time. And so that's not really a good average. But I put, I said, look, you need to be making $12,000 after the first year because I felt like, okay, I know that they can easily achieve that. Even if I, if I, if I pay for all the leads, I know they can easily achieve that. If they may, as long as they follow the calling process and the appointment setting and all that, I knew they could easily achieve it. That would make them feel good, but they achieved the goal. But I still have to put that carrot in there somewhere. So um, I have not 
yet. I, I've, I've tried a couple of financial carrots, and um, for one agent, it works. For the other, that doesn't. So I have to, uh, I'm still working on some of the different awards, if you will. Mm-hmm. One of my things that I wanted is I said, well, when I started the agency, is like, I want to pay the most commission out of everyone else out there, right? That's in my, in my market vertical, in my space. And that's fine. You can certainly do that. As it turns out, there's a lot of other agencies that have that same goal in mind. And if they have a lot more financial wherewithal than you do, which is probably the case if you're just starting out, then you really can't afford to pay them the most commission that everyone else out there, right? Because if I have 10,000 policies on the books, and if I'm, which I don't, but if I'm the agency owner and all of my all of my agents have 10,000 policies on the books and I'm making 1% off of all of those, that's not that bad. I'm a, well, that's horrible, but that's a lot more money than making 10 or 20% or whatever, whatever, whatever math you want to use than it is to when you're a new agency and you're just trying to pay the bills, right? And, and you're, and you've got two agents that don't have anywhere near that amount. So I feel like I went off track there, but. No, I mean, I think what I'm hearing is that you had to uncover what motivates everyone. And for some people that might be a financial motivation for others, it's something else. And so when you're bringing on someone new, understanding what motivates them and setting up a structure that will encourage them to go for it. Um, Because as a, as a business owner, of course you're hungry, of course you're motivated, but not, you know, when, when someone joins, it's, it's different. So how do you motivate them? And then when you are a new business owner, how do you make it all work? How do you make the dollars and cents kind of add up in those early days? Because you're both mm-hmm. investing in the business and trying to pay top commission to your agents. And I, I can hear that there's, there's a tension in those early days of making it all work. And then you'll get to the other side. Yep, yep, for sure. Yeah, going, going back, I would have paid a little bit less commission. If I started over. Sure. And the third agent is going to come in at a different commission amount. But You're learning. You're learning. Yeah. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about the technology tools you use to run the business. You're someone yes. that is always researching the new technology out there. You're always looking for the best set of tools. Tell us, I guess, walk us through what your tech stack looks like, if you will, the set of tools that you're using to run your business. For sure. So I have two CRMs that I actively use. And one of those is for my under 65 side. And then the other one is for the Medicare side, which and the Medicare side, that's Fair Street. I also use a VOIP service for my business phone, texting my clients as well. That service offers some additional things, some marketing, you can send marketing texts and stuff like that. And so I, I use it for that part as well. And then the, uh, I do, I, I pay for Adobe. We use Microsoft OneDrive um, a lot. So we pay for that. Um, and we pay for Zoom, of course. Everything's virtual. That, I, I know there's more. But um, at the end of the day, <laughs> my software bills are right around eight, oh, a commission tracking software. I pay for that too. Um, anyway, so the software bills are right around $800 a month, right? And that's that's just with us, three agents, or, you know, myself and my two agents. 
that will change because one of those CRMs, once I add another person, then it gets more expensive. And anyways, what CRM do you use for your under 65 business? Um, right now I'm using something called quote it. Quote it. Yeah. Okay. So you're using quote it for under 65 fair street, which is a free CRM for Medicare. You're paying yep. for VOIP zoom commission tracking software. What are you using on the commission tracking side? So I'm using a software called Comissio, and uh, it's actually owned by the same people who own Quotit. And uh, I'm always, this is a thing, I'm always open to changing. And there's a, a couple of other big names out there. Uh, one is called Agency Block, and I like what they do. I used to think they were expensive, but now, I mean, but when I do the math and add everything up, it's almost the same price. Makes sense. And then on the lead side, I also know that you're mm. using software to both generate leads, purchase leads. Tell us a little bit about how you're using technology on the new business yes. side. So I'm running my, my website with uh, with Wix. My email communications are going through my Wix, through my Wix page, and Wix has a, uh, something called Ascend. So um, that's a, it's a marketing side. So we use some of the Ascend benefits for doing email marketing. We use the, um, we don't use Wix to post, but you can also do social posts. My agent, uh, Michael, he will make a lot of the social posts on Facebook, Instagram. Though Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok is really where most of our posts are being made. Um, we don't, but LinkedIn is a good location to, you know, all that. everybody knows who the socials are. But the technology side, I using Wix and Wix Ascend to for the email communication. I'm try I try uh, my goal is to have the least amount of different programs as possible. But not everybody it's impossible to have one that does all. And that's okay. You don't want one that does all anyway. So Right. Um I'm curious, you said TikTok. Are you advertising to seniors on TikTok? So that TikTok is tricky. Right now we are making TikToks and then we're posting them. And the they've my agents have actually taken some TikTok uh, like marketing online courses, if you will. So you can't really target people. You can try to target with a hashtag and stuff like that, but it turns out the way that TikTok's algorithms work. The hashtags don't necessarily, they don't work like on Facebook where you can go and set a, a demographic. Okay, I want everybody in Texas to get this, to see this post. You can't really do that on TikTok, even if you hashtag it Texas. So that's a that's a field that we have just started breaking into. And marketing to seniors on there, yes. Marketing to under 65 is mostly what I'd be doing on TikTok. The... Uh, and I'll, I'll say this, if you're in the under 65 space and you're not marketing to the next generation, you are making a mistake. Unless you don't care and you want your business to fizzle out when you're gone, that's fine. It doesn't matter. But if you want to continue to serve them and you want your business to continue beyond you, then you need to market to the younger generation wherever they are. Even I'm just saying Gen Z as well, because older Gen Z, if you will. Um, they're already, I mean, they're working, they're, they're not at home with their parents. Mostly they're actually out trying to start families and everything else. So they need insurance too. Um, but, and I remember you had asked about leads. So I, I'm buying leads directly from lead vendors. 
like all web leads, quote wizard, stuff like that on their sites. Right. Okay. That makes sense. You're doing your own marketing, you're purchasing leads. Yes. If you had a recommendation for a new agency owner who yeah. is listening to this and says, you know, Caleb, you're using a lot of tools. This might be too much for me. What would be the bare minimum someone would need to get started as a new agency owner, in your opinion? You need a CRM, at least one. And if your FMO, like Fair Street, uh, offers the CRM and for Medicare, then use it for Medicare and use your other CRM, get another one for your under 65 stuff. And the CRM and your marketing tools, all those things are only as good as the information that you put into it. And if you've worked for at an agency somewhere else and you've had a boss or a manager or whatever, or you've been in sales, they beat the drum about how the CRM is got to be updated all the time so that the information is correct. So that the, and the whole reason for that is the, the, the better the information is, the better the marketing efforts are, the more uh, accurate your phone calls and your emails are going to be, and the more sales you're going to make. That's the bottom line. And it's so true. So true. I used to try to ignore a CRM when I first started out. Not not ignore, but I didn't really update it and do all that. But now that I've, I mean, after years have gone by, you got to have CRM at minimum, at minimum. Okay. So good CRM that you're using regularly and keeping the information up to date is step one. That makes a ton yeah. of sense. And I think I hear from a lot of people that it's a pain to keep an updated CRM, but I think you, what you're saying is that it really pays off over the long term to have that accurate information to allow you to send emails very quickly so that you can filter on things like, I want to email all of my clients with a Humana plan. Okay. That's going to be really easy if your data is up to date. Yep. I want to wrap up with um, thinking about where you want your agency to be going. So you, you started the agency this year. You've gone through the trials and tribulations of start, uh, starting the agency, getting it set up, bringing on your first two agents. Where do you see this going, and, and what are some of the things that you're focused on now? So my agency is only going to get bigger. I'm not hiring a third agent yet. I have. That's what's going to happen, though. The next step is going to be hiring a third and then a fourth, and then a fifth agent. The uh, and I'm not I'm operating without a brick and mortar right now, and I don't really plan on getting an office space. I would prefer not until at least ten agents in in my area, right where I am, because otherwise there's not really a reason to have an office space. And most everybody wants to work remote anyway, and personally, so do I. So that's one reason why I don't want an office space. Um, so that, that next step is to add that third agent. What I'm doing right now, though, before I do that, is I'm going to get through this AEP and OEP period and, you know, do my policy reviews, get my um, clients, their business uh, written, get the commissions, get a, a bit more commission coming in, if you will. And then by the middle of next year, I, will, I intend on hiring a third agent. That's the goal. And hopefully, by the end of five years of having an agency, I would like to have 10 agents by the end of five years. And so far, this is going to be wrapping up year two, basically. Right. So you're, you're at the beginning, but you've made, I mean, a tremendous amount of progress. And it's really fun to see you build out the agency and, and support you. 
Yeah. Caleb, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We've learned a tremendous amount about how to start an agency, what that process tactically looks like, what tech tools you need to set it up, and what your plans are for the future. So really appreciate your time today. Absolutely. Thank you very much.